Good morning. I invite you to turn to uh, the book of Galatians, which we'll get to momentarily. Just a couple uh, introductory comments. Uh, first of all, I, w- I also want to express appreciation for, uh, for our high school graduates, uh, Adrian and, and Jeremy. I've had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with them. A couple years ago, Jeremy reached out to me uh, wanting to get together and talk through some questions that he had. And, and, and over the last couple of years now, uh, we, we've spent a lot of time together uh, talking about the scriptures. And then several months ago, uh, Adrian had heard that I was meeting with Jeremy, and Adrian said, can you meet with me? And so I've spent a lot of time with Adrian over the last uh, six months. And but both, of, both of these young men are really dialed in to the scriptures, to desiring to live a God-pleasing life. Um, and it's just a, it's a great encouragement. I was, I was, I was not dialed in uh, when, when I was their age, and I'm glad that they are, and uh, hope for their, their continued uh, growth and, and strengthening in the Lord. The other, uh, the other introductory comment that I want to make is, is just, just to express appreciation for the fact that since the beginning of 2018, uh, other than me, 11, 11 different men from within this congregation have preached 33 sermons in this, from this pulpit. And I, I just think that's a remarkable testimony to the gracious work of God in our midst for a relatively small congregation to have that number of men who are able and willing to open up the scriptures and teach the word of God to, uh, to the flock is just a, a tremendous blessing. So my hope is that both of those numbers continue to increase in the years ahead. So here at, here at South Paris Baptist Church, we hold the Bible in highest regard. The Bible is the Word of God, and, and, and by it we come to know God, and we are equipped to live a life that is pleasing to Him. In the Scriptures, we discover treasures that are of far greater value than much gold, and we, we get sights that are far more glorious than sights like the Grand Canyon or the Niagara Falls. And like the faithful saints of old, we meditate regularly on the instruction of the Lord because we delight in the Lord's instruction, which are incomparably greater than the thoughts of men. And yet, we need to be reminded every now and then of what Scripture is all about. Scripture has a point. And the sad testimony of human history is that so often people who possess the Scriptures miss the point. For example, in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Later, Jesus told religious Jews who studied the Scriptures, this is in John 5, he said, you do not have 
His word, the Father's word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may live. Or to look at it from a different angle, remember Jesus' famous parable about the Good Samaritan. In contrast to the compassionate and generous Samaritan, the other two men in the parable, uh, other than the man who fell among thieves, uh, were a Jewish priest and a Levite. And they passed by this unfortunate man who had fallen among thieves and been, been left half dead in the road. And, and these, these, re, these, these fine religious men passed by on the other side. It is exceedingly easy and common to possess the Scriptures in your hand and to use the Scriptures as a great tool for religious ceremonies and official statements, but to miss the point. The possibility of missing the point of Scripture is not a good reason to ignore Scripture. However, the possibility of missing the point is a very good reason to be diligent to pay attention to Scripture without missing the point. Scriptural knowledge was never intended to be the end goal. Scriptural knowledge, biblical truth, sound doctrine is the key and necessary means to a larger goal. What is that larger goal? This larger goal is actually knowing, trusting, and loving the Lord and walking with Him and demonstrating our love for Him in a beautiful array of moral excellence and good fruit. The fact of the matter is that Scripture teaches us that God made us for right relationships. Our life is to be oriented to others, first and foremost to the Lord, and then secondly to other people. God's design for your life is that your life be free of self-preoccupation. You're not the primary character in your own life story. It's not about you doing and producing and advancing and achieving for your own sake. It's not about you making a name for yourself or building your own brand. God gave you His Word in order to free you from your egotistical and insecure pursuit of your own self-made glory and to free you to find contentment and joy in honoring the Lord and serving others. Of the many friendships that I have experienced over four and a half decades of life, one of the most unique has been a, a friendship that I've been able to build with a certain Pastor Mark out in Cambridge, Ohio. Uh, pastor Mark was Charlotta's pastor before we got married, and Pastor Mark officiated our wedding 13 years ago. And he lives in Ohio, and I've never lived in Ohio, but I've made many trips to Ohio. And uh, in those many trips I've made to Ohio, it's not uncommon for Pastor Mark and I to get together for lunch or for coffee. And so one conversation at a time, every 12, 15, 18 months, we've, we've built up a really good fellowship. And one of, the, one of the special things about dropping in on someone every 15 months is that you, you get a different perspective on their, their life and their growth. When, when, you, when you're with someone every week, it's hard to discern growth, but when you drop in on someone every 15 months 
and you do that for several years, you actually, you actually see a, a trajectory of growth, and I've seen that in, in Pastor Mark, which is actually really, really cool. But to the point now, uh, a few years ago, we were having lunch, I think it was in an Asian restaurant, if I remember correctly, and Pastor Mark told me how it had been impressed upon him very clearly that life as God intended it is about right relationships. It's not complicated, right? Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this, this central idea that true life is about healthy relationships has captured Pastor Mark's mind for several years now, and it's shaping his ministry. And just nine days ago, we were together in Starbucks having coffee and having conversation, and he brought this up again. He, he, he hasn't gotten over this, which is really encouraging. The, the, the two greatest commandments are still at the forefront of his mind, and it was in that conversation in Star, Starbucks that my mind began to be drawn to this particular message that I'm sharing with you today. I don't want anyone to ever think that digging deep into the law and the prophets is about anything other than growing people who love God with their whole being and who demonstrate practical and energetic love for their neighbors. When Jesus said that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, he wasn't giving us permission to ignore the law and the prophets. As, as if now that we've discovered the main point, we can forget about the substance. Instead, he was telling us to keep our eyes on the point. The point of the law and the prophets, the point of the book of Genesis, is to cultivate in your heart a love for God the Father and for the Lord Jesus Christ and to instruct you in the path of loving conduct toward other people. And so before we return to Genesis, Lord willing, next week, I thought it would be helpful for all of us to remember that the goal of all biblical instruction is to promote our walk with the Lord and our love for other people. And since we are incapable of successfully achieving right and healthy relationships in our own wisdom, we need all of Scripture in order to show us the way of the Lord and to shape us into godly people. So with that in mind, I want to read this morning's text. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Holy Scripture says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the Word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us your holy word that we might know you and be transformed from the inside out. I pray that this morning that all of us would be reminded of the basics and that we would delight to walk in the simplicity of wholehearted devotion to Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a goldmine of sound doctrine. And in the midst of this goldmine, Galatians 5, 6, is a 
pivotal verse. At the risk of oversimplifying the letter, we might say that Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 5 sets forth the priority of faith, and that then Galatians 5, verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 10 sets forth the priority of love, and then near the middle of where these two parts meet, Paul gives us a statement that brings the two concepts together, that what really matters is faith working through love. And these two things are not separate, isolated realities, but rather they, they, they belong together. It's faith working through love. It's faith bearing fruit in the form of love. It's our, it's our relationship with the Lord, summarized by the word faith, bearing fruit in our relationships with other people, summarized by the word love. Now let's first take note of the opening phrase, for in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about what really matters for people who are in fellowship with Christ. One of the most common ways that Paul describes believers is by saying that believers are in Christ or that believers are blessed in Christ. Christ is the mediator in whom we take refuge, and Christ the mediator mediates to us every spiritual blessing that the Father intends for His redeemed people. For example, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Or in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in Him. Or in Galatians, if you're still open there, Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 to 28, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under, under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ, nothing counts for anything for uh, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's from Acts 4.12. Outside of Christ, there is no salvation. Outside of Christ, everything is rubbish. Outside of Christ, everything is disintegrating and falling apart. Outside of Christ, there is condemnation and accursedness and unrighteousness. Outside of Christ, people are alienated from God. Outside of Christ, people are apt to locate their primary identity and worth in their cultural heritage or in their social and economic status or in their sexual identity. Lest anyone take Galatians 3.28 out of context, Paul's point about there being no male and female in Christ Jesus has nothing to do with modern gender-bender theory. Paul is simply saying that all Christian believers, regardless of 
cultural or personal characteristics, are fundamentally unified in their fellowship with God through Christ. Christ brings every believer into the fullness of fellowship with God. Nothing you bring to the table can add to the fullness of what Christ gives. And nothing that you bring to the table can detract from the fullness of what Christ gives. Christ is the same all-sufficient Savior for all of His people, and all of His people, men and women both, are one in Him. In Christ, we are unified members of God's family. In Christ, we are reconciled to God. In Christ, we are forgiven and freed from condemnation. In Christ, the smile of God is upon us, and every spiritual blessing is ours. The phrase, in Christ Jesus, highlights the fact that to be connected with Christ is to inhabit the greatest possible place. But to be disconnected from Christ is to inhabit the worst possible place. Look in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Earlier, Paul had said that in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Galatians 3.26. Faith is essential. Not faith in faith, not vague faith feelings, but faith in Christ. But if people never get firmly established in the faith and they throw away, they throw away the truth of the gospel, and instead of trusting the Lord, they trust their own effort to keep the law, then Paul says that such people are doomed. Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Christ and his grace prove advantageous and efficacious to those who trust him. But Christ will be of no advantage to anyone else. Now, We shouldn't be naive as to the danger of spiritual drift. Paul wrote this letter to the churches, multiple local churches in the region of Galatia, and although although these churches had been instructed in the truth of the gospel, even by the Apostle Paul himself, they were in grave danger of turning back. Go back up to chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And move forward to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, where Paul speaking tenderly and longingly and yet urgently to the Galatians, says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And then in Galatians 5-7, Paul wrote, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? G.K. Chesterton once wrote, there are an infinity of angles at which one falls, only one at which one stands. There are numerous ways by which Christian churches might be tempted to abandon the gospel or get bedeviled in deceit and error. 
The particular error that was troubling and bewitching the Galatian churches was the error of Jewish law-keeping. False teachers were saying something like this, in order to be truly saved, in order to be perfectly justified in God's sight, in order to be a a real first-class Christian, you must be circumcised as a badge of your allegiance to the Mosaic Law, and then you must proceed to keep the totality of the Mosaic Law. These false, these false, te- false teachers weren't denying that Jesus is the Messiah, but they were denying that Jesus is enough. Trusting Jesus isn't enough. Trusting in Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough. Trusting in what Jesus has accomplished isn't enough. Instead, it's Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision. Or Jesus plus observing special days and months and seasons and years. Note Galatians 4.10. Or it's Jesus plus the works of the law. In this false teaching, Jesus is important, but he's not enough. Jesus isn't enough to justify you in God's sight and adopt you into God's family and pour out the Holy Spirit into your life. Instead, this false teaching puts the burden on you to achieve and perform what the law requires as the basis of your acceptance with God. Anytime people come along and load you up with a program of steps and strategies, rules and regulations, to-do lists and checklists, with the promise that if you do these things, then you will find favor in God's sight, they are troubling you in much the same way that the Judaizers were troubling the Galatians. They are distorting the gospel of Christ and hindering you from obeying the truth. The truth, however, is that in Christ Jesus, to move to the next part of our verse, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. We learned in Genesis chapter 17 that the Lord gave to Abraham and his descendants the sign of physical circumcision. Uh, This circumcision was an outward and visible sign of a spiritual reality, namely faith in God's promise. And that was a good thing. But now that God's promise had been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, now the sign of circumcision was obsolete. The man who is physically circumcised is not advantaged on account of being circumcised. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior for the circumcised believer, and circumcision adds nothing to what Christ freely gives. The man who is not physically circumcised is not disadvantaged on account of not being circumcised. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior for the uncircumcised believer, and the uncircumcision subtracts nothing from the fullness of what Christ gives. Of course, within the Old Testament context, women were not circumcised at all. As Paul mentioned in Galatians 3.28, women are not disadvantaged on account of being women. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior for women, and they enjoy full inclusion in the riches of God's gracious salvation. Men and women, Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised, are equal beneficiaries of the grace of Jesus, and they gather around the table of the Lord as one family. Remember this when we celebrate communion near the end of this service. 
we have Jesus. And having Jesus, we have everything that we need in Him. Therefore, church family get-togethers and church family meals are not an occasion for envy or pride or one-upmanship or showing off or shaming others. Instead, church family get-togethers and church family meals are an occasion for mutual enjoyment in the riches that we share together in Christ. We gather around the table as one family. So circumcision and uncircumcision don't count for anything. What does count? What does matter? Well, that gets to the last part of our verse, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love is what really matters. As I mentioned earlier, the word faith summarizes a right and healthy relationship with the Lord. The single word faith is shorthand for faith in God, trusting the Lord, believing and treasuring the gospel, relying on God's gracious promises. If a man relied on circumcision or on observing special feast days or on keeping specific commands, then the man is really relying on himself and on what he has experienced and on what he has accomplished. Such a man is attempting to justify himself and make himself acceptable to God. But the way of faith is to trust the Lord to justify this filthy sinner through the blood that he shed on the cross. Paul describes the way of faith throughout the letter of Galatians. Go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Galatians 1, 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's our anchor, what Christ has done. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then drop down to verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are not in covenant relationship with the law, which gives directives but can never give us life. We are in covenant relationship with the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us and gives us life. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you 
and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We receive the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit and we experience God's powerful working among us not because we have achieved a certain level of performance, but because we hear and believe the gospel of Christ crucified. Look at Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. When Paul says that the only thing that really matters is faith working through love, the foundational faith component means that we are trusting the Lord. Our attachment is not to the law, but to the Lord. Our focus is not on what we do or ought to do, but on what Christ has done. We don't fix our, we don't fix our eyes on commandments and regulations, but on the crucified Redeemer. We don't look for the blessing of God at the end of a series of steps that we take. But we look for the blessing of God freely given at the cross. We don't come to God on the basis of what we have accomplished in our own strength, which is filthy rags, but we come to God sinful and weak and overwhelmed by the waywardness of our own hearts, and yet at the same time, we behold the slaughtered lamb and we rely on his sacrifice. And as that happens, the Father adopts us as his sons and daughters, clothes us with grace, and furnishes us with the Holy Spirit, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his abundant mercy. And this grace that abounds to sinners renders all of our self-justifying steps and strategies, all of our self-justifying rules and regulations, all of our self-justifying checklists and to-do lists as fundamentally worthless. As Paul said so well in Philippians chapter 3, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Christ is better than 10,000 lifetimes of religious devotion. 10,000 lifetimes of religious devotion fall short of the glory of God. But Christ brings us all the way to the Father. So when Paul says that the only thing that really matters is faith working through love, faith means that our feet are standing in the grace of Jesus, that our hearts are planted solidly in Him. 
Jesus alone is our immovable rock, our strong refuge, our perfect righteousness, our glorious redeemer. By faith, we become God's sons and daughters, and we receive the promised spirit who powerfully transforms our lives. And that powerful transformation by the Holy Spirit is a good segue into that last part of what really matters, faith working through love, for it is the Holy Spirit received by faith that generates a life of love. So let's go to the love part. Love summarizes what a right and healthy relationship with other people looks like. And when you're walking the path of biblical Christianity, what you discover is that there are, whatever the issue is, there's always two ditches. You're, you're on the narrow path, and there's a ditch to your left, and there's a ditch to your right, and you want to avoid them both. Faith avoids the ditch of relying on your own obedience for being justified in the sight of God. But love, love avoids the ditch of lawlessness. Paul holds the law in high regard, not as a burden to be obeyed in order to be justified, but as a beautiful light that shows justified by grace believers how to walk in love. And in just a moment, I'm going to read some portions of Galatians chapter 5 and 6, but before I do that, I just want to, I want to simply say, that God created us for right and healthy relationships with one another. God's intention is for us to build things together. And that actually takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we see God's design for the world. God's design is that we build marriages and families and extended families and cultures and civilizations and mission teams and relational networks. The Garden of Eden was supposed to be ground zero, and from that missional center, human beings were to spread out over all the face of the earth to fill the whole earth with the glory of the Lord. That was the mission given to us before Adam and Eve fell into sin and fell under judgment. But after they fell under judgment, Now the mission is to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The the risen Lord gave perfect expression to this gospel mission when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This great, great commission implies that we are building disciples and that we are building groups of disciples called local churches and that we're building ministries to be carried out by spirit-filled disciples in spirit-led congregations. And what does all this have to do with love? Everything. It is impossible for unbelieving self-reliant and self-absorbed people to build the beautiful things that God wants to build through his people. And just to take the love part of it, it is impossible for people to build good and godly things together if their fundamental disposition toward each other is selfish and unloving. And as we'll see in just a moment, when we are unloving, we actually destroy people. And by extension, we destroy the very things that we're supposed to be building together. How many marriages, 
How many families? How many congregations? How many ministries have been derailed by lovelessness? Brothers and sisters, God's will for us as believers is to be builders and encouragers and edifiers and restorers and helpers. God has brought us into the way of faith and bestowed His Holy Spirit upon you so that you can live fully and freely as one who builds and encourages and edifies and restores and helps. Indeed, as someone who not only can benefit others, but who can also work constructively with others in order to build beautiful things for the glory of God. So that we can strengthen families and strengthen congregations and so that together we can shine brightly for the Lord as beautiful lights in this crooked generation. So, Here's some of Paul's instruction, beginning in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Are you serving with love? or devouring others. And then Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The way of faith is totally incompatible with lawlessness. The way of faith is totally incompatible with disobedience to the moral dictates of God's law. The way of faith, which receives the Holy Spirit by believing in Jesus, the Holy Spirit generates a life that is in keeping with the entire purpose of the law, which Paul summarized several verses earlier, that the whole point is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let's pick it up here. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And those who exhibit those kind of qualities are able to benefit others and work with others in order to build beautiful things. Look at the beginning of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. No cockiness, no arrogance, no pride, but a humble and gentle eagerness to restore a brother or sister who has lost his or her way. And then the next verse, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Drop down to verse 7. Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, we are all tempted every day by the desires of the flesh. And whenever we give in to those desires, we simply add additional injuries and frustrations into this impatient, chaotic, and mean-spirited world. And we stress relationships. The Lord invites us to be refreshingly countercultural and heavenly in our manner of life. What your spouse needs, what your children need what your Christian brother or sister needs, what your neighbor needs, is not for you to be full of yourself so that you use them to benefit yourself. You don't need to benefit yourself because Christ has benefited you and supplies you with everything that you need and so you don't need to try to take matters into your own hands. Instead, you have been equipped to go forth as a servant of Christ in Christ's power to serve others, rejoice with others, to make peace, to gently restore, to come alongside and help, and to do good to all. Don't plot and scheme to get your way. Don't plot and scheme to take other people down. Plot and scheme to love other people in tangible ways. Build up, don't tear down. Give generously, don't take selfishly. Be gentle with people, not harsh. Never get tired of doing good, but let the way of love always be fresh and invigorating to your faithful heart. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, counts for anything but only faith working love. Let's pray. Father, it's not complicated. I pray that we would embrace the simplicity that is in Christ. Pray that you would clothe us with your power and strength and enable us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of the privilege to, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, to point others to you. I pray that we would always remember that life really is about right and healthy relationships. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.